0: welcome to plugged in powered by fantasypoints.com I am hilo of one week season you've seen me around in these streets before but I'm filling in for JM Jordan 2 line uh, for this week as always we we'll joined by Scott Barrett the main man himself Scott how are we doing this week dude?
1: I'm doing good hilo. Uh, happy to see you on uh, always always a, a fun pleasant surprise. Uh, as much as I, I'm going to miss JM, uh, <laughs> always enjoy our conversations.
0: Yeah, man. And thanks for having me on again. I'm glad I could hop on. Um, we were. We I were like ch- your
1: voice. You have like a very, like a calming, relaxing NPR voice almost.
0: <laughs> That's funny that you say that. I mean, like my my previous life, I was the backseater in F 18s. So it was kind of my job to talk on the radio and, and manage the battle space. And so that's kind of like probably where that comes from a little bit. What is an F-18? Is that
1: a a, a truck or a plane?
0: A a plane, a Super Hornet. Yeah, I flew for the Navy. Um, Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, back in the day. My old, old me. Now we just talk about football, baby. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Quite the career transition, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know of many people that have a a similar career arc as I do. (laughs) That's
1: badass. That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was a uh, uh, past me. But anyway, we were talking about uh, before we kicked off here how we were not really too excited to talk about results from last week. Tell me a little bit about how your week went and the process leading up to last week.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe you didn't have a bad week, but but I smashed all week. I thought this was like a really easy slate all week. I said, you know, uh, you're not going to finish in the money unless you have TJ Hawkinson, Shane Zilstra dub stacks you know like that was just like so obvious yeah irwin was gonna outscore jamar chase uh this was the kendrick Bourne breakout game we
0: were all waiting for it was just easy week easy week yeah it was clear that the the only three touchdown game of the week was going to come from a uh, backup tight end playing 35 percent of the snaps (laughs) oh
1: man Uh, yeah so so i got rocked this week this this wasn't a great week for me i did have some good hits i did talk uh in a bunch of my, my content that uh, Devonta Smith had a perfect matchup. Dallas was giving up the fewest fantasy points per game to wide receiver ones, but the most to wide receiver twos. They were down two starting corners. The only pro bowler Trevon Diggs left. Uh, he had this big game. I had George Kittle as a top three tight end play. Uh, you know, I, there were a lot of holes you could poke in that. Brock Purdy wasn't really targeting him very much at all. You like a 10% target share, but he just flat out smashes every single time Debo Smith is out. Um, I, I loved Gardner Minshew. I started off the week by saying I like I might have 90% Gardner Minshew stacks. Uh, Jahan Dotson. I had on 100% of my teams. Uh, all that was good. Uh, just like basically everything else was bad. It was, it was really bad. A um, lot of, a lot of dud players who, who, did basically nothing um, and just not enough exposure. I did have Justin Jefferson, but uh, I kept going back and forth on Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, uh, and really just didn't end up with, with much of them at all. Um, CeeDee Lamb, I full, I full on faded. So like, which was just so stupid. I I said in my analysis, again, I did have a lot of Minshew. I was like, the only thing tricky about this is I don't know who to bring him back with. Um, obviously CeeDee Lamb makes the most sense. Uh, I just don't know how I feel about this because Avante Maddox is back. No, you're not a cornerback guy, but in games where Avante Maddox played at least 50% of the snaps, the Eagles rank top five in fantasy points allowed to opposing slot wide receivers. In all the other games, they rank dead last. And so this was this was significant to me. And then what happened, Vontae Maddox goes down in the first drive of the second quarter. CeeDee Lamb immediately gets five consecutive targets. He goes yeah. on his way to smash. In, in Discord, I, I gave myself the L and I was like, nope, Graham was right. CeeDee Lamb was the play. He's he's burying me right now. Uh, but then I took it back I t- because I saw Vontae Maddox went down. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Obviously, he just made the most sense on, a, on, on those stacks. Um, but, yeah, it w- really wasn't a great week. Process probably wasn't even that great. So um, it was a weird week, but, but I'll, I'll take the L for last week.
0: Yeah, I think I would best classify myself probably with the cornerback discussion as a demi-cornerback guy. I pay oh, attention okay. to the splits for what they change from the fundamentals of like how a defense is going to run. Um, but less so outside of like the top, maybe two or three cornerbacks, less so like individual matchups per se. So I'd be interested to dig into those Avante Maddox splits to see if they were, if that was maybe changing the the way that they're operating their defense, or if that is simply a, a factor of their best player, um, in the secondary being out, um, I haven't dug into that at all. So, so the I, I, I wouldn't say
1: he's their best player. I, I just say, you know, they have two of the best perimeter cornerbacks yeah. in football, Darius Slate, James Bradbury. And so when he's out, it's just like like Maddox is good. Maybe he's not mm-hmm. elite. He's he's solidly good. And then you, you you take away this good player, put in a backup. And the only other cornerbacks you can throw to are these two like top ten guys. Yeah, uh, that really makes a funnels sense. volume there and the clear weak spot.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, I yeah, see
1: me land though is is someone like me and JM have always crapped on on this podcast. But yeah, like, oh, he same. has an overrated ceiling. He's had like one ceiling game all year, and if you look at his last twelve games with Dak Prescott under center, he averaged the he averages the exact same fantasy points per game as Dalton Schultz. But Schultz is always you know. 3,000 cheaper. Um, and like the narrative doesn't go that way. So that was always a guy we've like picked for spots and what, so like really pissed me off that, that, you know, Maddox went down, he smashed. I had people in my, my Twitter mentions, uh, giving me shit for that.
0: Yeah. But, um, I mean, it, you know, it makes sense to, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I was gonna say, yeah, but I mean, he, he could have smashed anyway and maybe that was inevitable, but
0: yeah. And with, with the profile that, CD Lamb carries this season in conjunction with how the Cowboys are running their offense. I mean, this they're one of only three teams to have a league average or below pass rate over expectation in every single game this season. So it makes sense that like if you're playing CD Lamb like putting a rule in the opto or whatever however you're building or for yourself, I must bring it back with a high upside piece from Philadelphia because now it's a bet on the game environment as opposed to playing CD Lamb as a one-off and getting lucky that the game environment developed into something conducive to him seeing this elite production. Um, so like if you played CD lamb naked, I would call it just based on everything we've talked about a, a mistake this past week, kind of just backing into a, a top fantasy production day, but super sharp also talking about Devonte Smith, regardless of the matchup, it, although it was good. And I saw you, um, talking about those splits, uh, before the slate kicked off last week on top of that Gardner Minshew kind of think about the switch from Jalen hurts to Gardner Minshew Jalen hurts has made leagues and bound strides in his ability to read a defense. We've always known he's had the mobility. We've always known he's had the big arm, but he is like being able to progress through his reads and, and find the open man Gardner Minshew is a first read quarterback. He is looking for his guy, if he's open, which he has guys that can get open in Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard back this week. Um, but he is a first-read guy, and that first read for him made a lot of sense this week to be Devontae Smith with um, the splits that we've seen out of Dallas this season. So that was a high upside pairing that I missed, a very, very high correlated and upside pairing that I missed this week as well. Um, we were talking also before how The uh, both of us were kind of down on the giants and the Vikings game this week. Um, I saw that spot basically as having more past the failure than I think the field was giving credit for. And I think all this ownership was coming to that game because it was in a dome. There were all these cold games and there were, you know, we, we had two weeks of recency bias with Minnesota with all this Kirk cousins past production. It's like, well, yeah, they, they, they got blown out one game and they had the largest NFL comeback or largest, largest comeback in NFL history in the other. So I saw that game environment as potential to disappoint. And then the season or the, uh, the week ends and the Millie maker wins with six pieces from that game. So it's like, yeah, I would just, wasn't, it wasn't my week. I wasn't going to win anything this week. Um, I had a lot of solid pieces. None of it came together in the right way. I think I cashed maybe, one of six primary rosters that I had in play this past week. So, yeah, a little bit of a bloodbath for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I thought I was going to love that game. Kirk Cousins had the second highest passing yardage prop of the week. These are two of the worst pass defenses, especially mm. in recent weeks, given all the injuries uh, on the Giants side. But then I saw uh, Kirk Cousins and Daniel Jones were projecting to be the two highest owned quarterbacks of the slate. So I kind of just wrote, both of them off. And I was like, yeah, why would I play Daniel Jones when I could just play Minshew? And then, you know, yeah, like you said, what, what was the Millie maker? It was a Daniel Jones trip stack with Hockinson and Jefferson.
0: Yeah. It was Daniel Jones with Saquon, Isaiah Hodgins and Richie James, which um, in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. If uh, if you're going to go heavy to leave out Darius Slayton, because he was the highest uh, expected ownership, although it's kind of weird to think about because both Richie James and Isaiah Hodgins are these short area guys. Um, And Darius Slayton like ended up, did he put up a goose egg? I forget. He like, he almost had no egg. Yeah. It was like nothing though. Um, But yeah, it was a super, super weird week for me anyway. um, With how I was seeing the slate and how it eventually played out.
1: Slayton had a 79 yards and six targets. So but definitely wasn't the uh, volume receiver of choice there. Yeah. Um, so uh one mistake I made like I said I liked Devonta Smith but I I really went heavy on Dallas Goddard Mm -hmm. he was the tight end two uh you know heading into this week and he was priced as the tight end five uh his only full game with Minshew uh he cleared the 100 yardage mark and he scored two touchdowns and he was just like so cheap that that's where I went with that and uh, maybe that was a mistake. Like I said, I I, I had Kittle top three. I just didn't have a ton of him. And then Hawkinson was someone I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Is, I had been playing him every single week up until this last week. Uh, and I I've been saying he, since he joined the Vikings, he's seeing insane usage, like really rare volume. Uh, if you only look at, at since he's joined the Vikings, he has more targets per game than Travis Kelsey. The issue was, the the production really wasn't there. He just routinely falling about four points short of his XFP, his expected fantasy points based on volume. And so what I just said to myself was, yeah, I mean, like he's a value based on the volume he's saying, but he's just been so inefficient relative to that volume. But I, I think you know maybe just there's not a great connection or rapport or chemistry between him and Kirk Cousins. So uh he's probably not the value it appears and then what happened he he broke the slate he made up all of his missing uh par points above replacement Mm -hmm. in one game and this is exactly what we saw with Joe Mixon and this is something I was better at in previous seasons but like this is the second time I did this I once I gave up on Mixon he breaks the slate once I give up on Hawkinson he breaks the slate but uh for talented players uh we know uh they're going to regress the mean and sometimes that regression comes in one game instead of being spread out across multiple weeks. And that's exactly what happened. And, and he broke the slate. So definitely don't be as impatient as I was. Um, And, and now TJ Hawkins owns the highest and third highest scoring games of any tight end this season. So yeah. I think just based on those two games, he might be like a top six tight end. That's how bad the rest of the position has been.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because I was I was thinking pretty heavily because um, I was kind of in the same boat as you, uh, particularly considering the expected ownership going into the weekend with TJ Hawkinson. And right. my thinking was he, although the the volume has been borderline elite, I and mean, we can call it elite, but it compared to his position his volume was elite, but compared to that, you know, that profile, a low a dot tight end, um, who's basically being used in a similar fashion as Adam Thielen has been being used in that offense. So they're kind of cannibalizing each other's production up until this point. Um, I saw that the, um, The matchup, Kirk Cousins is a bottom three quarterback when blitzed this season, and he was playing a Giants defense that blitzes at the highest rate in the league at over um, 41% coming into the season. But thinking back, those last two points, the fact that Kirk Cousins struggled against the blitz and the fact that the Giants blitz at the highest rate in the league should have brought me back a little bit more towards Hawkinson in that low A dot role. And that was something that I was kind of pissed at myself for missing this past week, um, as opposed to just writing him off because he quote unquote, like hadn't done it with the Vikings yet. Um, because we saw it hit the, the reason that he had this massive game was schemed usage. And that's just a smart coach understanding that his quarterback struggles against the blitz, understanding that his opponent is going to blitz a ton and um, making an adjustment both in game planning and game management to get the ball out quick. And that, primary piece for that has been tj hawkinson so uh yeah i was kind of pissed at myself that i missed that that i didn't get back onto that um yeah i think that's that was my my self-reflection analysis of that play i always think about like
1: if i had a time machine i can go back in time like a year from now build a time machine go back in time to this week would i even remember to play Trenton Irwin and, and James Zilstra <laughs> and Kendrick Bourne. I don't Zero think so. maybe, maybe I'd remember to go on in this Vikings. Maybe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. Um, any other big things that, that stuck out to you from this past week?
1: Uh, not really. I don't think so. Justin Jefferson. I mean, just abs- absolutely going nuclear. I think he's close to 10 K this week. Um you know, granted it was the best possible matchup last week, but these power law players are really the ones that can uh, swing weeks fully. And uh, he just might be that guy Yeah. heading into this year's, you know, fantasy drafts and season long leagues. It was a lot of people like uh, John Hansen, who works with us was saying, no, no, no he's going to score more fantasy points than Cooper cup. And I'm like, I mean, the guy just, broke Jerry Rice's record for most fantasy points ever. And you think this other guy is going to come in? Like, why not just draft Cooper cup? But yeah, no, he's fully living up to the height. Yeah. I think that's it. I think that's all I got for, for my recap on a super gross week.
0: Yeah. And uh, looking forward to this coming week, week 17 of the NFL season, we have a lot going on. The main slate jumps from a 10 game slate, which we've kind of been accustomed to over the last three weeks, we've had 10 game slates. Uh, we jumps up to a 13-game slate. The state of the slate is kind of uh, – I, I don't like calling slates gross or ugly uh, because I think every slate is unique in how you you can identify like the, the – I don't know, the state of the slate. We just call it just we, – we lead in our, uh, our Inner Circle podcast every week on one-week season, which is kind of like our, our premium subscription type thing. Um, and Zandemir and I do a podcast and we lead in like for the past two seasons every single week. It's like, Oh, welcome to week, whatever. This is a super unique and interesting slate. And we just talked about, I think two weeks ago, I brought up why I say that now, as opposed to, Oh God, the slate is ugly. There's a bunch of low game totals. And it's this, like the sense that every slate is different and every slate, although like, scoring around the league has been down this season every slate is so unique in the way that that slate sets up where can we find game environments to attack where can we find teams to attack where can we find those one-off spots um so that's kind of the backstory of why i say like this coming up week it appears ugly quote-unquote on paper we have 13 game slate we have all but two of those games have a game total of 45 points or lower uh with the only um only two games that are outside of that or above that being the two or the two games involving the NFC North. Uh, So the Chicago bears and the Detroit lions, and then the Packers and the Vikings. Um, So what are you seeing from this slate coming up in ways that we can like from a macro perspective, wrap our minds around uh, what we got?
1: Well, yeah, let's talk about the size of the slate. So I love like medium sized slates, like last week, 10 games, love that. I hate super small slates. Every time I play like a Thanksgiving slate or a super small slate, it's always like two, like the dumbest guys just go absolutely nuclear. Like on Sunday, uh, Christmas day with Cam Akers and Tyler Hickby breaking the slate. Uh, yeah, I, I would not have had any exposure or Mm -hmm. minimal exposure to those guys. Um, And large slates, I I don't really like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's maybe too much to analyze, too many plays to consider. Uh, It's sort of like a a bigger puzzle and like bigger puzzles are, at least for me, much harder to solve than smaller ones. Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you treat this any differently? Uh, Do you think ownership is really going to condense around uh, uh, those top three
0: games or top two games? I think we ownership always kind of condenses and the field is getting so much better at identifying the top on paper spots that, yeah, I think we're, we're likely to see, um, you know, Justin Fields jump up to increased ownership. Again, we're probably going to see Jared Goff get boosted a little bit. um, All the primary uh, Lions pieces. And then the, uh, Packers Vikings game is interesting because the Vikings are so concentrated and the Packers are so not <laughs> concentrated. Uh, but we also have Christian Watson who, you know, only made it through a half before sitting out the second half last week with a hip injury. So that could open up some, um, some, the the potential for some top value plays in the form of Romeo Dobbs, uh, probably going to see Alan Lazard a little bit more involved. So, um, yeah, I think, and I want to go back quickly before we continue that discussion. And, um, touch on, I think, why you and JM and myself have, have done so much better on medium-sized slates and a little bit worse on super small slates and uh, very large slates in the past. And I think it's because those uh, medium-sized slates are kind of that sweet spot in variance um, in the mm-hmm. sense that on shorter slates, all the way down to showdowns, you have to be either optimal or as much closer to optimal from a roster construction standpoint uh, to win a GPP. You throw in like a full slate, like a 13-14 game slate or like what we're going to see in week 18, which is like this massive slate. Um, You have a lot more leeway, but that introduces more potential for scores that you had to have developing in the sense that like you cannot win a GPP without Derrick Henry's 40-point game. Um, And the way that I think you and I and JM have played this game of DFS is we like to find spots that carry both floor and ceiling from the sense of I have a little bit more confidence in my abilities to project volume, to project game environments, all the stuff that kind of we look for, um, to where that that fits very well in a medium-sized slate. But when you talk about the variance associated with such a large slate, where there's more potential for top-end scoring, and the variance associated with a small slate where you need close to optimal, it's a little bit harder for us, I think, to embrace the variance that you need to be embracing in those in those settings. Um, what do you think about that? Any uh, additions or comments on that?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense. So on a small sa- slate, like you're really not going to win anything if you don't have cam Akers or tyler higby which are plays you probably shouldn't have been too too high on and then in a Mm -hmm. larger like a a super large slate there's just going to be more of those players who who Mm -hmm. go off that maybe you weren't expecting like you said we gravitate towards the best plays from a floor and ceiling perspective but the more games there are there's there's plays with a super small floor or super low floor who can just you know due to variance hit their ceiling games and uh yeah I I think that makes sense to me it's also just frustrating from a a writing content standpoint but yeah you brought up a Derrick Henry 40 point game I wanted to admit one of my L's from last week too I I said on this show I said I think I'm gonna have close to I I think I might just go all in on both Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey and and just you know go that route and like it's going to force me to build a certain way and whatever, I'll take it. Um, You know, I did get off of that a little bit towards later in in the week, but I did have way too much McCaffrey and and Henry. The way I saw it was just, okay, McCaffrey was averaging close to 30 points per game since he joined the 49ers when Elijah Mitchell was out and his volume is like right there. It was 40% better than Austin Eckler. And Mm -hmm. so he wasn't priced like it. So I just, yeah, love me some Christian McCaffrey. And then, he only had two targets. Like, I, I don't know what to make of that. I, I guess that was always the concern is this could be like the Buccaneers blowout game where uh, they don't need to keep their foot on the gas. And then Derek Henry, it was, it was a pristine matchup plus positive game script. And we know he's far and away the most game script sensitive player in fantasy, but then yeah. Ryan Tannehill getting ruled out, you know, drastically reduced uh, their implied odds of winning and, um, and, and which leads me to something interesting for this week and something we need to think about is this game is totally irrelevant to the Titans. They, they don't, this game means nothing. But next week, they need to win that game. And so it makes sense for them to sit out Derrick Henry, which is something they've done in the past, uh, in which case this could open up Dontrell Hilliard value. I don't, I don't know. Do you think we're going to see a bell cow or we're going to see a committee or because they don't need to win this game, there's they're just not really going to, give a full effort and fantasy points are going to respond in kind. Um, And that's something we have to think about with all these guys. Like is Justin Jefferson really making an effort to, and the the team backing him on this to set the single season receiving guardage record and what players have contract bonuses. And uh, is it too early to start thinking about this?
0: I don't think so. And I've been preaching that for a couple weeks now is like, although it's hard to quantify like this idea of motivation. Like these are NFL athletes. They're the cream of the crop. They're the top athletes in the world at what they do. Why should we think that like additional motivation, but when you think about like where, what the, this, this idea of motivation, what it influences really, it's more from like a game management perspective. So the coaching staff, what are they playing for? It's not the individual players. It's not like, um, Justin Jefferson is going to play any better because he wants to hit 2,000 yards. Well, the fact that he's chasing 2,000 yards and he plays for a head coach that kind of uh, buys into these things and he's, he's more of a player's coach, that will affect like how many opportunities Justin Jefferson has. But like I don't think he needs any additional fire to be like, oh, I'm chasing this uh, this record. I want to break Calvin uh, or um, I want to break Calvin Johnson's record and hit2,000 yards like I said I was going to. Uh, that is more of like, how could the, this motivation factor or this uh, teams that have something to play for factor? How does that factor into how the game is going to be managed, how they are uh, preparing for the game? Are they just trying to make it through like a team like um, a team like uh, bad example? I was going to say Atlanta, but they, they have still not mathematically eliminated from postseason. Um, but a team like Chicago, I think, is the perfect example. Although they have been eliminated from playoff contention for so long, we've seen that they want to keep fighting because they want to figure out what works, what pieces they need in the offseason to bring in through free agency, through the draft, to make themselves a contender for next year. And I think we're seeing that now, or the, the field is probably realizing that now, um, where the coaching staff has come out and said, no, we're not going to sit Justin Jefferson the final two or uh, Justin Fields the final two weeks. Um, we want to continue tinkering with things to figure out what works. We've seen it from their defense as well. They have been one of the most adaptable adaptable defensive units f- as far as personal alignment and scheme um, goes. They've had all the way up to 51% man coverage rates in a game. They've had as low as 8.3% man coverage rates. So a team like Chicago is much different than, say... Um, say the Texans, a team like Chicago is much different from a team like the Texans because of this idea of motivation. Like what are the Texans playing for? Not much. Lovey is kind of this, just he's in his first year with the organization. He's just trying to make it through. And then he's going to figure out next year when next year happens, you look at Chicago, their coaching staff, they have a brand new analytics department. They have a new from everything from a GM down the line, basically in their organization they're kind of pushing to figure out what works now and prepare for next year as they set that up. So um, yeah, I think there is something to this idea of like, what, what is a team playing for at this point of the season? What are um, some contractual incentives that, that individual players are playing for? And again, that is more or less. And we saw it, I think um, what either last year or a couple years ago with Antonio Brown in Tampa, um, he had a contract that was very, very laden with um, incentives. And we saw Bruce Arians at the time basically call a game plan that got him the ball. Tom Brady was hitting uh, Antonio Brown in like week 16. I think it was seven. Gronk. Was it Gronk? I forget who it was. Yeah. I think you're right. But yeah, the same thing where it was like, he had a contract laden with incentives and his coaching staff, because Bruce Arians was again, a player's coach was calling plays. I thought it was – so the way I
1: remember it is it was Tom Brady who really wanted to get Gronk the bonus. Gronk wanted the bonus. I think the coaches even, like, didn't want him still on the field, and, like, <laughs> yeah. Brady's just, like, checking it down to him nonstop.
0: Yeah. But that that's what I mean. It's 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 less of, like, an individual player's motivation or incentive, and it's more of, like, the people around them, their coaching staff, what are they playing for? Do they want to continue um, – altering their game management or how they're playing the game to try and get whatever their motivation is, whether it's incentives or whether it's um, preparing for next season, or whether it's fighting for a playoff spot. Um, I think, I think that answered your question. (laughs) That was a long roundabout discussion, but so um, that's my view on it. So you brought up the bears. Like I, I love this from a fantasy perspective, just because I have
1: a ton of Justin Fields. So uh, really want him to play this week in my championship matchups. Uh, but I mean, if I'm the owner of the Bears, I, yeah, I, I don't love this idea. So, oh, okay, we have two more games of tape to study throughout the offseason. It'll make us better for next year. But I just think about uh, the 2020 Jets who were 0-13, 0-14, then they win two of their last games. Uh, they win two of their last three games and yeah. they drop out from first in the draft order to second, uh, Jaguars take Trevor Lawrence, Jets take Zach Wilson. So two meaningless wins ended up cost costing them what, like 40 wins over the next six years, something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I just like that, you know, cir- circuitous path to success where it's okay. It hurts us a little bit this year, but not really. Cause we were already out anyway. So it's meaningless victories, but really helps us long term. Uh, but let's go back to some of these games. So like you said, the the top over under game of the week is uh, Lions versus Bears. And, you know, immediate thought is Lions at home. Oh, they're going to go nuclear. Uh, secondary thought is, well, what if the Bears don't show up? They didn't show up last week. Bill's really held fields in check. Maybe he's not fully healthy. We, we didn't see him run. In fact, we saw him Really run away from contact in a way he hadn't in, in earlier weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, next is is Bills versus uh, or Bengals versus Bills, Bills at Bengals, um, and this gets me excited. This could be like the Bills uh, Chiefs game in the postseason last year, where you know they just scored on every single drive, uh, and it was you know a blast to watch. So many points, so many fantasy points uh Bengals really uh doing something that we've wanted them to be doing for a long time which is uh passing more frequently their their pass rate over expectation is now easily top three where if you look at at joe burrow's stats it's like okay games uh the Bengals rank top 10 in pass rate over expectation he averages like 30 fantasy points per game the rest of the time you know 19 and it's you know, this is who the offense needs to be. of an elite quarterback with elite pass catchers. Let's chuck it. And you're going to have to chuck it in this game. The counter to that is, well, the Bills defense, they get their star cornerback back. And maybe this is just the Bills defense of old. And uh, uh, we could be overrating the potential uh, for, for a massive influx of fantasy points. Uh, you, you like Green Bay Vikings, so I'll let you touch on that. But I, I did want to bring up Chiefs Broncos uh, Mahomes is putting together an all-time season he, he looks maybe better than he's ever looked despite losing Tyreek Hill and I think the Broncos defense like it's good but I, I think it's a little fraudulent the only QB one they've faced all season from a fantasy perspective is Patrick Mahomes so they have had this pillow soft schedule to date uh, so so what are you thinking about these these big four games?
0: Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, the, the Bengals and the Bills are Monday night. So that's off the bottom Oh, nice. plate, okay. but, Um So yeah, that kind of condenses things even further. But when kind of my process throughout the week, first, I, first thing I look at is game environments, trying to identify where a game environment can take off. After that, I fall back onto um, teams, individual teams, teams that can score four or five plus touchdowns. Um, And then from there, I look for concentration, et cetera, things we look for, for one-offs. That's kind of like my process in a nutshell. So the fact that we have only two games with a game total over 45 points, it very quickly takes me into that realm of teams. Um, And you look at a team like the Chiefs, they have a Vegas implied team total of 28.75 points right now. Uh, That is tops on the slate. Behind them, just behind them is the Lions at 28.25. Then it's the Eagles at 25.5, the 49ers at 25, and the Packers at 25, who are surprise favorites at home against Minnesota. So the fact that, and this is why, again, going back to that, that lead into this section where it's like, I don't really want to classify this slate as ugly. We still have five teams that have a Vegas implied team total over 25 points this week. So we're expecting five offenses on paper without any other analysis to score some points. Uh, Again, that's a median projection. That is 50% of the time uh, they're going to go over, 50% of the time they go under. But with that said, it sets up this interesting dynamic for the slate in that like, how much ownership do we expect Patrick Mahomes to have against a a Denver defense that has a big red number one uh, as they allow the least fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks this season? probably not as much as he probably should be owned in this spot. Then you look at like the rest of the state of the quarterback position, and it's like Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, who they're trying to push to play this week, but we don't know if he's going to play. Um, Probably a little bit of extra incentive to get him in the game with the team losing to Dallas this past week. We have Justin Fields, who you mentioned kind of how he looked last week. We have Justin Herbert, who has... Oh God, I think it's either zero or one game. I think he has one game of a 4x salary multiplier at his 7.1 price. We have Tua Tagbailoa or Tonga by Loa, sorry, who now picked up another concussion. So the point is like we don't have a lot of like put the slate out of reach options at quarterback. We don't have a lot of put the slate out of reach options at tight end with the highest price. Um, Tight end being Travis Kelsey and then this massive drop off to the George Kittle, TJ Hawks and Dallas Goddard range. So while that is interesting from the sense of like the field is probably going to struggle to diagnose um, certainty on this slate. It also brings up a lot of interesting dynamics to where we still have a lot of offenses, individual offenses who we expect to more or less succeed and score some points. So that's kind of how, like to answer your question without answering it, I think (laughs) that's kind of how I'm seeing things beginning to develop on this slate um, where we still have some offenses and there's going to be offenses that I'm going to have interest in. Like who, uh, like, I don't know, um, obviously it's too early for ownership to pop, but like Patrick Mahomes with Jarek McKinnon and Travis Kelsey or like a stack, a high upside stack like that high upside because they play on the chiefs and those are the three primary pieces on the chiefs. But the fact that they're playing Denver, um, I think it's going to suppress a little bit of their ownership this week. So super interesting and dynamic, a lot of stuff to think about. Um, I guess I'll throw it back to you from here. Like, do you have any additions or thoughts on that kind of process discussion?
1: Yeah. You just brought it to I uh, uh, I don't think he plays this week.
0: Yeah. In which her. case I,
1: I like Teddy Bridgewater, who hit the 300-yard bonus on just 70% of the snaps earlier in the season. Uh, he's targeted Tyreek Hill on just about 33% of his throws, and uh, Hill was hyper-productive, uh, basically like 150 yards per 30 pass attempts with Teddy Bridgewater under center. Uh, so that one's interesting to me. I think there's going to be a lot of that. Uh, you know, we don't have a great sense of it right now, but but like we said before, if Terrick, uh, Derek Henry isn't playing, that opens up some value. If Tua isn't playing, that opens up some value. Um, so all of that is is very interesting to me. But I think the way you walk down the list of quarterbacks, I like that. Uh, Mike White is another one. I haven't checked his ownership. But him being back, this change uh, definitely bolts Garrett Wilson, 5,500 up to being, uh, I think, you know, uber chalky. And if he's not just, just go all in on him. Uh, yeah. Mike white only 5,400, uh, in a top five matchup. Uh, so that's another one I like a lot. And like oh, I said I, before, De- Denver's only faced one QB one all season and it was Patrick yeah. Mahomes who went nuclear against them. So, mm-hmm. uh, if people are, are viewing this as, Oh, you can't play anyone against Denver. Um, I'm going to like uh, Patrick Mahomes. Stars. He's yeah, also think- really interesting to me. Uh, he, because he's so tough in, in single entry. Uh, I think, you know, but he's such a cheat code in MME where you're just let the, the computer kind of figure out who to stack him with. And if you nail the right cheap guys who score two touchdowns on the right lineup, that can really uh, break a slate your way.
0: I like all those shouts, uh, particularly with um, the Mike White and Teddy Bridgewater discussion, because we just talked about like motivation. We're kind of at the point of the season where, You know, some teams don't have anything to play for. Each of those two teams have everything to play for this week. We have uh, Miami against New England, who they are currently the seventh and eighth seed in the AFC. Uh, Miami took the first game way back in week one. So if New England come uh, and ends up, you know, leaving week 17 with a victory over Miami, that seventh and final playoff spot could come down to week 18 game. so uh, Miami could distance themselves in the same uh, on the same the other side of that coin uh, from New England and all but lock up a playoff spot this week. So uh, a lot to play for there. The Jets need to win out and they need some help so they obviously have a lot to play for there as well after their uh, pretty incredible start to the season. So I like those shouts a good bit. Um, definitely throw those into into the process mixer here this week. Um, anything else like from a macro perspective or any other like early week values that you see opening up? Um, I'm not sure. I'm still kind of in
1: the midst of my process. Uh, let me see if I have anyone who jumps out to me. Uh, Curtis Samuel, if Carson Wentz starts, we saw it again last week, uh, (laughs) scored 77% of his fantasy points on just 44% of the Carson Wentz dropbacks. Uh, with Wentz, his target share jumps from 68th to 11th, uh, 15.2 fantasy points per game before Wentz broke his finger. Uh, so I like that. Kittle, you have to still like if Devo's out. Um, I did say I love the matchup for Devonta Smith, but the guy has seen eight or more targets in seven straight games. Uh, he's the wide receiver eight over the span above AJ Brown. Um, Tyler Algier stands out to me as a top value as gross as that sounds but uh, really seeing terrific volume and good production in recent weeks uh, playing ahead of Corderell Patterson Drake London's another one 54% yardage share over his last three games I've seen volume really good production and I I do tend to gravitate towards these uh, rookies in the second half it's just uh, Mm -hmm. always been a DFS cheat code um evan ingram I, I don't know if he's on the main slate but i at a certain point you just have to buy into it the guys ranked top three in targets at the position in three straight top five in receiving yards and three straight um yeah i think that's all i got right now
0: it's interesting that you brought up uh that you brought up Uh, my guy Curtis Samuel uh, because I actually I talked about him last week uh, as an oh by the way potential one-off because there was the possibility that Tyler Heineke wasn't going to finish that game I mentioned all the splits that uh, you just brought up with uh, Carson Wentz and then he comes in and and Carson Wentz comes in and throws a touchdown to Curtis Samuel it's like ah that one felt good Um, yeah Uh, I like all those shouts I'm kind of on the same page as you very very early in my weekly process this week Um, basically haven't dug into individual games. I'm kind of at the macro viewing the state of the slate before I start really, really diving in here. Um, So yeah, it's tough to say outside of those as far as value goes. Um, Do you have any parting shots or any, oh, by the ways, before we wrap this bad boy up?
1: No, I think just going back to what we were saying about the size of the slate, this just feels like a one lineup, single entry week for me. I don't usually go that route. I, I try and get a good diversification of all the ceiling type players, but maybe like you, like we were saying, you know, the, the bigger, the slate it's a little trickier um, so much potential for random guys really hitting the upper bounds of their variants. I, I might just lean into the opposite of that and just try and get my favorite optimal builds with upside and just, just go that route.
0: Yeah. Uh, focus on small field, something like that. Um yeah. I think that's that's a viable way to approach it for sure. Uh because I think you have to I think you have to lean to one of the extremes. You have to really tighten up your play if you're a player like we are where um a little bit more not risk averse but a little bit more uh biased towards um 80%. We'll call it we'll I'll put it like this, biased more towards 80% outcomes as opposed to 95% outcomes. Um, which is, I think, what you're going to need in large field on a slate like this. So, yeah, I like that a good bit. I haven't uh, really decided where I'm going to be going with that, uh, whether I'm going to lean into the variance and play additional lineups or kind of scale it back like you mentioned. Um, But I think if you are scaling it back, I think smaller field, uh, the smaller the better on a slate like this. Well, that's going to do it for us for this week. Uh, Appreciate you again, Scott, for letting me come on and talk shop with you. Uh, JM, hopefully he will be back next week. Um, his little baby girl's six. So he's pulling, uh, double parent duties, um, helping out his wife. Uh, so shout out to him. Hopefully his daughter's feeling better. Um, and we will see you, uh, at the top of the leaderboards and see you at the end of the week.